You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 50 of Take About Podcast. I'm your host, Eli Tokash, and I am so excited to be here with you all today. Yes, for those of you Fighting Neverland fans who could recognize that, that was Believe. I don't know. I wanted a little special intro here for our 50th episode. Oh my God, this is too much. I never thought this day would come, but here we are. Here we are. We're here. I'm recording on my birthday, which is very exciting. Thank you all for the birthday love to those of you who have reached out. And uh, I'm so thankful to be spending my birthday this way because I wouldn't want it any other way. But obviously today, Thursday is a new day and we have a big 50th episode and one year celebration and today we are doing it with none other than charlie alterman who is the current music consultant for zoe's extraordinary playlist it's one of my favorite shows on tv right now i don't watch a lot of tv shows but i watch that one so that's why it's one of my faves (laughs) and um yeah and he was my musical director in pippin he was also doing next normal he did godspell pippin um he did martin short's show when it was on broadway all of these amazing things that we talk about um and it's all very fascinating and it's a brand new side of the industry that we've never talked about before so i'm excited for you all to hear about it but before we turn it over to the interview let's talk about what's going on so i was granted with the greatest birthday present in saying that broadway is reopening at 100 percent capacity on september 14th So that is very exciting news because I know we've talked a lot about guidelines and restrictions and what it would look like for when it does reopen, Uh, but it turns out we're not going to have to worry about that because we're probably all going to have to wear masks, but it doesn't seem like anything too crazy is going to have to happen, and New York will already be open for a couple months by then, so I think it's all going to be, time will tell, you know, and Of course, we've found out some like extremely exciting news surrounding the industry as well. It was announced that Wicked, they were the first tour to announce that they were going to return to action in August, starting in Dallas. So that was like a huge, huge thing, a huge announcement of hope for our industries because Everyone kind of thought that Broadway is going to reopen first because, you know, with tours, you have to travel from state to state and, you know, you got to go in and out and there were all these uh, crazy restrictions as far as traveling and everything like that. But 
hearing that that was in August, we were everyone was like, well, what about Broadway and everything like that? So of course they made the announcement today, and I could not be more excited. Um, although they did say like theaters will be open May nineteenth, and they're technically allowed to go back and, and all of that. So it's just going to be it, it's confusing still at this point, and everything seems to still be up in the air. But it seems like by September fourteenth. Broadway will be up and running again, but who knows? Maybe shows will be back before then, and uh, the rest of them will follow at that date. So I'm very excited, and I'm going to keep you all updated as soon as I hear, and as soon as it becomes public, I guess. And I'm, I'm so excited. Oh my goodness. 50 episodes. I'm still in awe. There really wasn't much to talk about surrounding the Broadway news, except for those incredible accomplishments. But I also wanted to mention that today... Thursday, May 6th, they're premiering Jeremy Jordan's uh, 54 Below concert. And he did this during quarantine and everything like that. And he made his own solo concert about um, his journey and new life as a father. And it's called Carry On. Its streaming premiere is on May 6th, but it's going to be on demand from May 7th to the 27th. So you have about 20 days, 21 days to be exact. So three weeks to catch that. And if you're interested in watching that, it's $35 on the 54 Below website, or you can get a $50 VIP ticket and you can be included in a live post-show session with Jeremy Jordan and his producer, Benjamin Rahala. And I apologize if I pronounced that wrong, which I probably did because I butcher names all the time. But um, it's a very exciting it's a very exciting thing. I, I watched the trailer of it today. Oh my God, it looks amazing. It's everything you want it to be. Not only from Jeremy Jordan himself, but also just like from any actor because similar to Adam Jacobs, you know, he truly like opens up his side of the curtain and what it's like for him to be in the industry and how he's adjusted throughout all these amazing things that he's done. So as I mentioned, this is our one year anniversary episode and I couldn't be more excited. We have an exciting guest today and we have two of maybe the most exciting guests coming to take a bow uh, in the following two weeks. But for today, we're going to turn it over to Charlie Alterman. And as I mentioned, he is a conductor, a musical director, a keyboardist, all of the things that he does. He's really like the heartbeat of a musical on Broadway. So, but before we turn it over to the interview, let's turn it over to the Drama Dictionary because we're going to need it for the episode. This week's Drama Dictionary is going to be conductor versus musical director. So we talk a lot about um, conductor versus musical director. Um, in the episode, we use that those two terms often. I didn't even know kind of what the difference were, and I had to do some research before um, talking to Charlie. So a musical director is someone who works closely with uh, members of the show, so cast members, uh, the creative teams, and they oversee like the conductor. So like they're a, like they're just one step higher than the c- conductor, right? And they helped uh, they help compose and they help uh, the arrangements and all of everything. Um, and they're the ones that are allowed to give the cast members the notes, and they're in charge of hiring the orchestra and rehearsing them and all of those things where the conductor is just the person who will conduct an orchestra and kind of lead them in the performance. So basically the conductor is in the performance. The musical director is usually, you know, 
a part of the creative team who's kind of like not there every day, but uh, will come in at when needed and everything like that. So it's just a step higher. But oftentimes they they give the conductor and the musical director the same job and the same, uh, not the same title, but they'll they'll combine the two. Obviously, like it's a different title and their pay grade is different and everything like that. But they combine the two and just to have that on site because, you know, it's very helpful to have an extra set of ears and a sec- extra set of eyes and everything like that on site the entire time. So when in giving in combining the roles, which is a lot of what Charlie's career has been, combining the roles of both a musical director and a conductor, he is able to do a lot more, I guess, than just a regular conductor would do. With that said, and with that knowledge, let's turn it over to Charlie Alterman, who's going to give us some incredible insight of what it's like to be a conductor. Did you know that there's auditions? Yeah, I I didn't either. So let's just turn it over to him and he's going to tell us all about it. Charlie Alterman, curtain up. This week, we have a guest who is willing to give his insight in a brand new facet of the industry. He has been a part of Broadway shows that have won or have been nominated for Best Score, Best Orchestrations, Best New Revival, Best New Musical. I mean, the list goes on and on. And those achievements would not have been possible without the help of our guest this week. So everyone, welcome to Take About, Charlie Alterman. Woo! I'm yes. cheering for myself. It's the saddest thing, but this, <laughs> this weird audienceless, you know, yes, universe that we so have now fun. created. Oh my god, I'm so excited that you're here with us this week. I like to start off all of the episodes with what kind of got you into acting, but this week we're gonna do what kind of got you into musical theater and like music in general. Ooh, it's a kind of a really random and really specific story, but I always loved music and I always loved theater. Uh-huh. And so I think I loved musical theater because it brought all of the, both of those worlds together, but it wasn't a specific thing like, oh, I got to do musical theater. I just, as a kid, I played piano and I played a couple other instruments and I, I loved making music. Music was a huge part of my life. Yes. I also really thought I wanted to be an actor. Like in a way I was kind of like, this music stuff is great, but really where it's at is acting. I want to be, I was convinced <laughs> that I wanted to be an actor. And I could sing, so when I so I would do musicals, but I would also do straight plays, and I would do all kinds of stuff like that. And um, but in my mind, I didn't have a specific goal of doing music theater. I either wanted to be an actor in all kinds of mediums, or I wanted to like tour with a rock band. You know, I think my right. like my early dream was to like go on the road with Shaka Khan and sing backup, yes. and play key, play keyboards, which probably would have never happened. But you never know. Um, <laughs> And so I kind of fell into music directing. Uh, when I was in high school, I was so excited because, you know, they did better shows than the junior high. And it was, I got there my freshman year and it was freshman year fall. And the first show up was Little Shop of Horrors. And I went in and I auditioned and they pulled me aside probably before callbacks or at some point in the casting. And they said, listen, here's the deal. Everybody loves you. Uh, but it's a really small cast. We're not looking at you for any of the leads because you're a freshman. 
And, mm. you know, we're going to create this little ensemble, but you really would be probably bored out of your mind. They're, they're not going to have much to do. We know that you play piano. Would you want to maybe assist the music director? Wow. And I was initially like, I don't know. I wanted to be in it. And meh, 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 like for me, let me think about this. And then I thought, well, it might be more interesting. And sure. And I ended up having a blast. The music director uh, was just, she was really cool, really talented, really smart, created a great vibe in the room. I clicked really well with her. I loved working with her. That sort of inspired me. And it wasn't like instantly like, this is what I'm going to do with my life. But it was like, all right, we could diversify. Like, I like sure. this, you know? And so kind of for the rest of high school and college, I would like flip back and forth between acting in a show and music directing a show and acting in a show and music directing a show. And by the time I got to college i was finding some summer stock work uh like on the summer breaks as a music director or as a pianist or whatever so what by the time i graduated i still loved acting but i was kind of thinking all right it's a it, it's a narrower field there's fewer people competing for the jobs you've got some credits already like let's start here and down the line whatever anything's possible but then i sort of started falling into work and a lot of stuff happened and you know and now the idea of trying to pursue acting feels totally foreign to yeah. me because it's been a couple of years, but, uh, <laughs> but I think in a weird way, that connection to like what the actor experience is, has always been my personal, like, I don't want to say unique. Cause actually a lot of music directors come from this background, but I think a lot of the really great music directors had an acting background. So you understand what the experience is of the actor and how to support them from the pit and how to play a scene with them. And you know what they're concerned about. So you know what you can speak their language when you coach them and all that kind of stuff. So I think in a weird way, it's, I, it's been this very bizarre route to get here, but it's sort of, it's all sort of served me well. Yeah, totally. Know? Cause I think musically I might have some gaps in my theory or whatnot from having not gone to, you know, a big music conservatory, sure, but to sure. do theater and sort of understand, cause so much of music directing is figuring out how to integrate, you know, eight different worlds. Yeah. A favorite quote that I wish I could take credit for, but um, a friend of mine called it being like being a music director for the, for a, like a Broadway musical is basically being an English to English translator who can speak to every department in terms that they understand and then synthesize it together. So, you know, totally. you can talk to a choreographer a hundred percent and counts in their language and get it. Mm -hmm. You can speak to a director totally in the artistic vision and the emotion of it. You can speak to an actor in ways that are both technical in terms of what they have to do technically with their voice, but also in terms of the emotion and the pacing and the storytelling. And then you can translate that to an orchestrator and a music copyist. So it's like, no, 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 that needs to be a 16th note pickup to it. You know, it's like every last little thing. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. And for me, the joy with musicians is that that's, you know, the great musicians and I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of really great musicians sort of speak both languages. Yeah. Cause on the page you need it technical. It's like, no, there's a crescendo there and so on and so forth. But also the great musicians understand the artistry of, well, why is there a crescendo? And it's like, Oh, here's what's happening on stage. And here's the emotion. It's like, Oh God, right. you know? Right. 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 Well, I wonder, so like, just the way that you're talking about it now and just being how how musically inclined you are, even though there may be gaps or whatever it is. But like when you were doing double duty as a music director and an actor, do you feel like the just knowing the music and knowing like all the technicalities of like what's written on the piece of paper helped you as a performer? You know, they probably did. Certainly music directors loved me because I 
that I didn't need a lot of help from them, but, um, right. You know, but it's, it's all interesting to me because it's all sort of writing down music. I mean, this is a huge tangent, but writing down music is sort of an art that I think when you get a piece of music as an actor or as a musician or as anything, you take it as, as gospel. And of course it's open to interpretation, but it's like, well, this is what they wrote and this is what they meant. And the thing that's been eye opening for me working with all kinds of composers on new musicals and whatnot is I'll sit and they'll play it. And whether they hand me the music or I'm help, or I've done a lot of things where I'm transcribing off of a demo and figuring it out. And Oh my God, you kind of listen to it. And in your soul, you know what it is, but when you have to write it down, it becomes these questions of like, okay, they sort of backphrase that line. And that feels like, was that part of the writing or was that an acting choice? Like, should I put it on the page? Should I not? Should I be really specific about that phrasing or should I write it as eighth notes and know that a good actor will phrase it and not have them be boxed in by the rhythm? So every composer or every transcriber or arranger makes a thousand decisions about that. And it made me realize like going back to, you know, Beethoven even Mm -hmm. was writing symphonies down and you know, we all think of like, oh, but classical was so technical and specific. And to an extent it was, but it's still about the artistry and it's still about the expression. And you listen to like great pianists or great orchestras under a great conductor interpreting those classics. And there's still like, where's the push pull and where, and how am I going to phrase this line? And it's still all about the emotion of it. And everyone's trying to make those technical decisions to say, all right, well, how do I write this down? So that was sort of an epiphany too. I just took us on a huge tangent. No, but, it's great. You know, but so the, I, it's definitely helped me and it's definitely informed a lot. I don't know. I, I geek out over this stuff because I think the, the more I've worked in it and the more I kind of love it, I think w- the thing that appeals to me so much about music is mm-hmm. that it's kind of the intersection of art and science. Okay. Yeah. Because totally. there's science behind it. There are absolutes. You know, rhythms are mathematical and they either they either work or they don't. You know For what sure. I mean? Like if you're in a meter, there's so many beats in a bar. And then if you need that extra beat, you're not in that meter anymore. So you got to figure it out. So all of that stuff, you know, their pitch is, you know, are you on the pitch? Are you not on the pitch? Like there are definitely, is that in the scale? Is that in the chord or not? Or if it's out, is that intentional or is that a mistake? You know, but then there's also interpretation. Like that's a weird note, but maybe it's really cool. And then how do you interpret that science to make it artistic and to make it speak to an audience and to make it resonate emotionally? and all that so absolutely so that makes me happy but the merging of worlds to even even acting and music has always been interesting to me and like little side note i think in a weird way my acting background even though i never really pursued it never did anything with it helped me get my feet in the door when i started music directing so my first the first ever job that i had in new york after i graduated from college there was this tiny little off-broadway musical review that was like all songs about travel. It was super random, really, really incredible cast though. And I came in as their rehearsal pianist because their original music director was like, I'm not dealing with any rehearsals. And then long story short, when he left, eventually he left the show and I ended up taking over the show, but it was a pianist, bass player on stage for actors, but the pianist also like did voiceovers and sang one of the songs and all that kind of stuff. So I think the, yeah. So the fact that I could sing and could be funny and was comfortable with all of that, I think helped me, you know, get my foot in the door there. I would have landed it, wouldn't have landed it without that. Right. And then my first Broadway show was Martin short fame becomes me, which is a whole crazy story. So Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman wrote the score. Mark Shaman was also in the show and was mostly playing himself and was at, I mean, quite literally, I don't mean like, 
You know what I mean? I don't mean like he was typecast. <laughs> I mean like quite literally. He's like, and Mark Shaman on the piano, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, you know? wow. And he was like at a piano on stage. Originally, the whole band was going to be on stage, and then there just wasn't room. But he was still on stage. So they had set up this whole elaborate thing where there was a camera on him at the piano and everyone in the pit would have a monitor so that he could conduct the show. And then they realized by the time we left New York that it was, there were certain things that he wouldn't be able to conduct because he was making a costume change or it was like playoff music for a scene that he was in. Because in addition to being the onstage music director, composer, Mark Shaman, who wrote the show right. as a character in the show, he also had little bit parts of other things where he was not playing himself. Okay. So sometimes he had a costume change or he had to make an entrance and there were, you know, so then there was going to be a camera on me, a camera on him, and I would conduct some of it. He would conduct some of it. I was going to have a foot switch that like toggled the video between the oh, two things so the band God. knew what to to watch and it was all it was my first show i was so excited about all of it but in retrospect yeah. like that was all completely crazy and right. it was going to be so dicey and so confusing and it was this wild moment where we were out of we we're in tech in san francisco and we're like two three days away from the first orchestra rehearsal and it was you know it's a new musical it's a thousand moving parts tech is tech <laughs> so it's like you know everyone's doing the most and right. um Everyone's literally. just literally, and everyone's just like, I've got 8,000 things in my brain. I don't have time. And I, and Mark is also acting in the show and composing the show. So he had 800 things in his brain at all moments. And I was like, I don't want to bother him, but also we need to sit down and figure out who's conducting what, like we never really mapped it out. Some things were obvious, but some things were like, is this you? Is this me? I don't know. Right. So I remember we were breaking for dinner and Mark was, that theater had sort of emptied out and Mark was just sitting on his own on the stairs with his computer and I was like, all right, now's, now's the moment. So I went over to him and I was like, Mark, I, I know you're super busy, but can we just take five minutes and like figure out who's conducting what? And he was, he goes, I, I, it's just all you. I can't, I, there's too much on my plate. No way. And I was like, wait, what? He was like, you heard me right. Renegotiate your contract. You're conducting the show now. Oh my <laughs> God. Like, Did this just happen? That whole <laughs> show was like, story after story of oh my God. crazy out of a movie like it never happens this way what is my life pinch me pinch me moments um right down to like actually the, the fun story too is like when i got cast because i so i had to go in an audition because he was in the show so i was he was the I, he was conducting the show but he was in the show right so until they bumped me up to conductor i was hired as the associate conductor but it was also an un, like an equity understudy. Right. So I went in and auditioned because they were like, we need an understudy for Mark Shaman. Um, <laughs> so you were going to do- No pressure. Tap in no pressure. Those junior high moments where you were doing double duty. <laughs> exactly. So I thought, okay, I can do this. And I have never wanted a job more. Mm. I mean, it- Mark, it's so funny. I'm not a starstruck person. I've worked with a lot of stars over the years and I'm not really phased by celebrity. I'm kind of like, you're a human being. I'm a human being. We're going to get along or we're not. Right. I have to treat you like a normal person. I can't be like, oh my God, you're so-and-so. But I think we all have that short list of people that were just like, oh my goodness, to be in a room with this person and work with them, they're genius. You know, and yes. we put them, and it's not a big list. It's probably five, 10 people for most people, you know? Uh-huh. And for me, Mark Shaman and Martin Short were both on that list. Yeah. So it was like the thought of 
to be I knew that the show was I had seen the show announced there's you know press releases that it was coming the thought never occurred to me that I'd be able to work on it but I remember calling all my friends and saying guys we got to get tickets early we got to go see this we got to see it multiple times it's gonna be the best thing ever and when the call came in to audition for it I was like what is my life yes I have I have to I have to book this so I put so much pressure on myself and I think the audition by all counts went well but in my fantasy dream world of of my life it was going to be that thing where everyone's rolling in the aisles and like immediately like where have you been all my life and you just leave the room knowing you booked it you know and like that didn't happen yeah so it sent me into such a state i was so depressed that night and i was like i guess i didn't get it i guess i didn't get it i have to release this and i sort of like said my little like goodbye to it and you know and the next day i was playing rehearsals for the wedding singer and i'm in a (laughs) I'm in, I remember all these details. I don't really like, cause it was so yeah. monumental. I'm in this rehearsal studio and it's before, like there's cell phones, but there isn't, there aren't smartphones. There's no texting. There's oh, nothing wow. like that yet. So, and my phone is like burning. It's like blowing up. Like I'm yeah. getting like call, missed call after missed call after missed call from sure. some 212 number. And I'm like, I don't, could this be Telsey casting? I don't know. <gasps> so we get to a break and I'm like, hold on, I'm going to check my phone. And it's the casting director. And I call her and she's like, everybody loved you. Um, and Scott Whitman, who also directed the show, and and Marty were at the audition, but Mark Shaman wasn't. So there, she was Stop like, everybody it. loves you, but like Mark would love to meet you. Could you go down to his loft tonight at like 6 p.m.? Uh, Scott will be there. No and I'm like, way. sure. Which, first of all, you're like, they're inviting me to Mark Shaman and Scott right. Whitman's <laughs> loft? Like, what's going on? What is um, like, what is my life? And then... Uh, they're like, there's another, um, you know, uh, there might, I, I think someone else is going to be there who's being seen for one of the other understudies. They might want you to play for her. They might want you, it was all very vague in right. a way that was like super stressful. I'm like, do I need to prepare the stuff I did for my original audition? She's like, no, I think he just wants to meet you. I mean, have it at the ready in case he might want to hear you play. It's, it was so vague. So, which I'm like, I don't wow. know. I want to nail this. I want to be perfect. I want to be prepared. Right. But I went down there and and Jill Abramovitz was there who ended up covering two of the female tracks in the show and uh, went on to do a ton of Broadway shows. And she's in the middle. So, so, you know, it's like the assistant greets me off the elevator and is like, oh come God. back this way. They're in the recording studio. I'm like, what is my life? And right. um, <laughs> I get back there and she's singing something by, and he, Mark is at the piano and she's sitting next to him singing a song. Oh, casual. My God. And uh, they wrap up and I'm just lurking at the corner, kind of waiting my turn. And, Mark is like, um, hey, do you have it? There's, we're thinking about putting a number in the show that would be like a wicked spoof with like an alphabet moment. Do you have anything that's like really high belty? And she's like, ooh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. He's like, do you mind if I page through your book? So he's paging through and I'm in total, like, I'm such a, I can't help myself. <laughs> like, right. I'm such a, like, the, the constant vocal coach that I see him pass by life of the party from wild party i was like oh my god do that and i'm like why am i speaking but i was like I- you should do that it's that's high belty that would totally show him what he needs to hear right and mark looks up mark looks up at me and he's like do you know this song and i was like kind of i've played it just in coachings for people he's like great i don't want to sight read can you play for her <gasps> with kiss it can's free shoes motion sounds something like this Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. 
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So, so I play for her, but in my mind, it's still like her audition, and I'm like, I'm up next, you know? Right. And uh, little did I know, I think that kind of was my audition. That was like his chance to hear me play. So um, she finishes that. They're like, can you do a couple impressions? Blah blah blah. And she's like, is there anything else I can do? And Mark and Scott are sitting on the couch and they're like, no, I think. And they kind of check each other out. They're like, no, uh, you know, like to make each other, to make sure they're on the same page. They're nodding. They're like, um, no, I think, uh, Jill, we'd love to have you on the show. Like told her on the spot. No way. That's And dream. I'm sitting there like beaming and freaking out for her. Right. And then they, they, they like nod at each other again and turn to me. They're like, and you too, for that matter. No like, way. What? Like, oh who, my God, who finds out on the spot from the composers and director of the show? I was like, it never happens this way. Yeah. Never. I was like, what is my life? And I remember so vividly, Jill and I both played it super cool and super pro. And yes. Like, oh, you know, and <laughs> they're like, course. they're like, oh, this is uh, both of your Broadway debuts. We're so excited. And we're like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Oh, thank you so much. Boom, 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 boom. And we wrote, we left together. And the second the elevator <gasps> door was closed, it. we're like, ah! <laughs> wrap each other absolutely oh it was my god so amazing wow what a dream come true and then so like wait so then that's obviously before this whole this whole you know passing the baton on for the whole music director correct a hundred percent so the crazy thing is i was hired as mark's understudy right i then got bumped up to music director I then, through a long, crazy story, ended up also covering Brooks Ashmanskis, who was in the show. Yes. Like a second cover. Went on a couple times for him. Stop it. So I had all these crazy, <laughs> like, what is my life, pinch me, like, promotions, for lack of a better word. Right. But by the time the show closed, Mark had never missed a show. So the one thing I was originally wow. hired to do, which was to stand by for him, like, never did. Never happened. Wow. That's but incredible. But who cares? Because I ended up music directing the show. I ended right. up- so you know, what does an audition look like for like a musical director? Like, what was that? It really depends on the piece. That specific thing, you had to sing a song at the piano and accompany yourself and they wanted it to be okay. a comedy song. But that was a very specific, unique thing to that. Normally as a music director, they would it, it would either just be an interview or maybe an interview and they'd have you play some stuff from the show to hear what your piano playing is like. Gotcha. But uh, yeah, in that case, and they sort of didn't, it was like the the foot to fit the golden slipper because it was such a specific unique thing so they were seeing music directors who were maybe funny they were saying seeing actors who could play piano they were like we don't know how to like this is such a specific world you know right and uh you know they were literally like telsey was like calling their audition pianists like are you funny can you sing do you want to i mean it was just they were literally just like (laughs) casting a net all over town to try and figure out how to find this person right and hysterically i went in and sang the song that i used to sing in that off-broadway show that i was that was my audition piece i was like listen i'm comfortable singing it behind the piano i'm used to singing it behind the piano i know how to land the jokes in it and it was a very old school song like it wasn't something that i would really think to use for anything else but it was like almost vaudevillian like that sort of like very old school humor which i was like i i know marty's style i know mark's style that's the sure. that's the world that this show is going to live in this sort of like funny campy old school sticky stuff which right. i 
live for. I mean, that right. show was a dream because, again, just going back to like the fact that I'm such a fan of their work, I was like, if I hadn't worked on it, I probably would have become one of those crazies that like went and saw the show five times. So just the fact right. that I was conducting it, but then also sitting there seeing literally every performance of it. I mean, I it was, was just a Jiminy Click interview and I was like, I saw every Jiminy Click interview, you know, yes. so from eight feet away, like what is my life? It was amazing. Yes. And it's so funny because I remember at the time coaching myself saying like, you can't be, you know, cause again, like I'm, I was never weird around stars, but like those particular stars, cause I was, they were, I would, I just idolized them. I was like, I can't be weird around them. I have to, and even though every minute I'm like, holy shit, what's my life. Right. And I remember saying, okay, Charlie, you're an actor, act like someone who was cool in this situation. Yeah. And what's hysterical is I then read Marty wrote a, like a kind of an autobiography uh-huh. years later and talked about exactly that like him starting out no his career and being way. in the room with all these stars and saying marty you're an actor act like you're cool and collected <gasps> and i was like this is crazy that it's like so worlds circle. colliding yeah totally and wow. like what a world that he was that guy and then became the person in the room that someone else like me was like oh my god i gotta act cool around marty you know right oh my god i want to stick so with wild. this whole like starstruck moment <laughs> because this is incredible because not only like literally the people that you've worked with like just from the composer side like not even actors we're oh not even god. at Forget the actors it. yet yeah like mark shaman tom kitt steven schwartz like what is happening? What is your life? Literally all of my heroes. <laughs> yes. All so of like, my heroes. Yeah. What is it like to be it's like insane. collaborating with them and like writing with them practically? It's it's amazing and it's inspiring. And I will say it actually does force you to, as much as I'm like telling the story about like, and it seems like I was distracted every minute, like that was sort of early on. And then you do have to just get over it. Right. Because otherwise then you're not getting any work done because you're distracted by it. And at some point it's like to actually do the job well and serve the piece and, and, and give them what they need. You have to just be like, whatever, I'm a person, you're a person, here we go. Let's talk, let's get in there and let's work. Uh And so it was actually, that's what forced me to get over it. You know what I mean? Totally. And, but they really are all heroes. I mean, like I grew up completely nerding out over Steven Schwartz's music. Right. Like I listened to it constantly. I played out every cast album of every show that he'd ever written. I music directed Godspell at my high school. Oh. I saw Pippin. My high school did Pippin a couple, like when I was in eighth grade. Uh-huh. So I went and saw it just because I wanted to see their show. I didn't know the, I, I didn't know anything about Pippin at the time. And I remember being so blown away by it. Not the, it was probably actually, it actually was a, a for a high school production, a really good production, but it was more just, what is this show? And what is this score? And oh my, I remember I saw it like Friday night and I was like, mom, dad, I have to go back tomorrow. I have to go back tomorrow. I have to see it again. And then I went to get the sheet music and usually you only get the selections book that the score had just been published. I was like, it's the whole score. Oh my God. I can play this. So I bought the score and I went home and I was playing, I mean, I played the incidental music. I was just like, I want to dig into all of this music. So working with him was wild. And then even working on Next to Normal, it might have been the first show of Tom's that I saw. Really? Because for some reason, I couldn't see High Fidelity because I was doing Fame Becomes Me at the time and we were on the same schedule. So even though everyone was buzzing about it, I remember being like, ah, I can't get over there. And then I saw Next... I didn't do Next to Normal at Second Stage. I saw it there. Okay. And I saw it late in the run when we all kind of thought that was the end of the road for the show. 
which was so devastating to me because there was no question that it needed work, but it was like the good stuff in it, which was most of it was so good. And at such a level beyond anything I'd seen before that I was like, this can't be the end of this show. And I remember it was like that night seeing it at second stage was one of those pivotal nights in my life where I had, just, I have not been that knocked out and blown away by something, by a piece of writing in, a, yeah. in such a long time. And I remember being almost like jealous of Mary Mitchell Campbell, who had music directed yes. it, but not in a like, not even in a like, I want that because well, there was nothing to want. The show was closing in three days, but I was yes. just like, how, like how amazing that she got to work on this incredible material. And the thought never occurred to me that I would get to work on it. And then a few months later, I get this call out of the blue and I didn't, Tom and I have had a million people in common, but we didn't really know each other. Uh-huh. And I get this call that's like, Hey, I got your number from so-and-so. Um, it's Tom Kitt. We're looking for a music director for next Stop normal it. down at arena. And I was like, well, I remember holding the phone, like what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> right. Oh and my God. Uh, went in and met with him and played some stuff and, you know, and the, the show is hard. And it was a lot like I really had to practice it. And I'm I'm totally the guy that like sight reads pretty well and uh-huh. kind of coasts on sight reading and charm. And I hate practicing. So I'm usually just like, whatever, I'll figure it out and I'll, I'll get better right. as we go. And, the, you know, and this was like, oh, no, I got to sit home and spend hours a day practicing the score because it's so hard. But I've also never been so inspired to go home and practice. Right. You know, normally it's like, no, I can't meet up. I got to go practice. This was like, oh, no, 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 no. Sorry can't see you for two weeks. I'm going home. I, I can't wait to go home and practice this stuff. Like I just yes. couldn't wait to get my hands on that. But that makes it so much better. So just like when it yes. like excites you and everything. Oh, 100%. that's the best feeling. And it was great to be that invigorated by it and have it be that different than Fame Becomes because the only, the only I mean, Fame Becomes Me was the most amazing experience in every way. But the, the backside of that is like, it was my Broadway debut. Uh-huh. And I was like, now what this was like my dream show that i would work my whole career and finally do something like that and i was like it's already happened and i'm 30 years old what do i how do i what do i like you know so it was great that next to normal was so completely different yes and then godspell was so completely different and then pippin (laughs) and and then pippin they're also different and they each had a different hook if that makes sense like it's not like it was the same thing that excited me on each show and then you end up comparing them like i couldn't compare each show because you know, well, we've talked a lot about Fame Becomes Me, but I think with Next to Normal, it was like it was the depth of that material that inspired me so much. And it was the the, the incredible writing and the, the, how brilliant the production was and the way Michael Greif directed it. And sure. the cast was so sensational and and just getting to really be I've never done a show where the music was so woven into the storytelling as that to where you really feel like you're. The, the 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 next cast member when you're conducting it because you're literally playing scenes it's a complete give and take and back and forth and an energy exchange with the cast oh yeah and then I would say for me Godspell the hook was quite literally just the cast was so unbelievably talented that making and the band was amazing and making that music with that group of people every night was so exhilarating yeah you know I would be we would be in music rehearsals and they all have almost all of them read music. So it was like, they're, you know, I'm ready to plunk stuff out. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you don't need to plunk it. Let's go for it. I'm like, okay. And then the stuff that usually it's like, okay, let's give it a few days to sink in. And then we can talk about vibrato, not vibrato cutoff stuff. Like as I'm plunking, they're like, and do you want that with vibrato? Okay. Do you no. want that full deal with that mix? Do you want that? I was just like, oh my God. The ver- like They were all like in a good way. They were all music geeks. So we like right. got, we got the technical stuff out of the way so fast and then we're just totally shaping the vibe and the attitude and the, I mean, and they were so on it. I mean, 
Because the way that show's written, everyone has their big breakout song, but they're yeah. all in every song. Yeah. So it's like singing the backups. So in what show do you have, you know, Lindsay Mendez and Morgan James and Celise Henderson, like singing your backups like that just doesn't happen you know (laughs) right and those arrangements that michael holland did were incredible and hearing them with this stellar cast just going for it was like that was my and then pippin for me the whole excitement was the whole circus element yeah yeah so that's what i wanted to talk to you i wanted to speak on that because there was so many new things about pippin like so was -hmm. was this actually the only show that you worked on that was a revival on Broadway or am I mistaking that? Godspell was also a revival. Okay. And it was interesting because they were both Steven Schwartz revivals, right? but there were sort of different and they're both shows. There was an, an instinct to update them. Uh You know, they were both shows from the seventies. So there were certain things about them that might've felt dated, even though there was a lot about both that was very timeless. And with Godspell, the real thing we kept talking about with updating it was that the songs were written to be contemporary and designed to be contemporary. So it was like, right. You know, if every, if, if when they were written in the seventies, they were supposed to sound like songs that were on the radio, which they really were. I mean, Steve yeah. a brilliant pop writer. How do we now make them sound like songs that could be on the radio now? Wow. You know, so that it still has that idea that they're current. Yeah. So those were explicitly updated musically on Pippin. We did some updating, but it wasn't as much, for the explicit sense of it, because that music was always sort of in a variety of styles. And some of it was meant to sound sort of baroque and old timey, you know, because the show takes place in the past. And some of it was meant to be contemporary, but not specifically for the sake of being contemporary so much as just that was the musical vocabulary at the time it was written. Totally. And the great thing that uh, Larry Hockman, our orchestrator said, which I thought was so perfect, is he said, we don't need, in terms of updating the sound of the pop stuff, he said, the fact that I'm orchestrating it in... 2015 or 2013 or whatever year it was and the fact that you got that the musicians are playing it and interpreting my charts in 2013 will give it a more current sound uh-huh we don't have to explicitly lit analyze and intellectualize how are we going to update it wow we can because i've experienced this too that there's a lot of times where i think i know a song from having played out the cast album mm-hmm. and i'll sit down and play it by ear playing kind of what i think it is Right. And people be like, oh, that's cool how you updated it. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Because in my mind, I'm just playing the cast album. And then I'll go back and listen to the cast album. And it's like, oh, yeah, that was a little different. So, you know. That's so cool. And I get, But I guess I'm channeling like the instinct or the idea or just the vibe of it mm-hmm. and channeling it through like whatever sensibility in the present time is coming out. So I think there was some of that with Pippin, but the explicit work we did musically was integrating the circus world. Right. And of course, you you know, you no longer have this Broadway legend playing the leading player. You have a female playing the leading player too. How do you now, like how did that change the dynamics of how you looked at songs like, you know, Glory and uh, Right Track and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Right Track, it's funny you should say that. Right Track was possibly the hardest because most of the songs, like even Glory, it's a huge group number, but the lead vocal is all the leading player. Right. So you basically find the perfect key for your leading player, which, you know, for the record you would do even if it was a man, because it might not, it might be a man with a different, like we changed a lot of the Pippin keys for Matthew James Thomas, just because he lives a little higher, Wow. you know, which, and it's funny, this is a side note, but it's like a thing that drives me crazy where I feel like 
there's been a thing on Broadway the last like five, 10 years where there's this notion that like higher is better. Like, oh, we're going to raise the key because they're a better yeah. singer. Or, oh, we had to lower it because you're a, a not as good of a singer. I'm like, no, everyone's voice just lives in a certain place. And one isn't better. The place isn't better or worse. Right. It's just about finding that sweet spot, you know? Um, and it's about where do you, you know, whatever their money note is, you want that to be the money note of the song. So that exactly. it's effortless, but thrilling, but, you know. And a lot of the stuff was just, you know, Matthew kept saying, like, if we could bring it up, if we could bring it up, but it all sort of sounded fine. So I was like, I don't know that we need to. And then we were like, well, let's try it. And it was like, oh, I get it now. This just like your voice just sits a little higher. Like, right. He, it was fine in the lower keys, but it was like some of the low stuff was reaching. He's like, now I could just soar. But then, you know, understudies and replacements were like, why is it? And so then we did actually take some stuff back down when he left, just because that was where his voice is in its meat, you know, and then like Kyle Dean Massey who replaced him, who has a glorious voice. Like he's just got right. like his, his money notes are slightly different, you know? So, but I digress. The point is for the female <laughs> player. So you kind of find the key that's the, that makes the most sense for them to sing the song in. Uh-huh. And then you sort of re arrange the, the group vocals. Yeah. So that they're still in a good range for the cast, but they still support the storytelling. So like glory involves some, yeah so a song like glory involved a bit of a redo of the vocals but other than that and obviously you know it was a new orchestration anyway but when you're moving more than a step or two it it does sometimes mean reimagining the orchestration because suddenly something's a little out of either out sometimes technically out of range but also like in the same way you want a voice in their money range, you want like a trumpet in their money range. Right. So right. it's like suddenly that thrilling blare from the trumpet is a little low and you're like, that doesn't have the same punch. So maybe you want to voice it higher or you've taken the song up and now it's just so ludicrously high that like the players, like you got to be kidding me. <laughs> and, or your ears are like, I'm bleeding. Why it's too, why is it so high? So, you know, it's all that kind of finessing, but then the trick is when it's like a duet, what do you do? So it's like, we had to make all those little decisions but it was exciting because it made it feel like a new show, even though it was a revival. It's like, all right, we have to figure this out. And what if we, what do we do here? And oh, you right. can sing this instead of, you know, even like as an example, there was a, a line in the, like the finale is mostly the leading player uh-huh. at the top anyway, you know, all the think about your life, Pippin stuff. And then it becomes more about Pippin at the end. But, um, and there's a, the angels of the morning are calling out your name in the original was the leading player. And then, one of the actors comes in to do a duet with them and it was Fistrata in the original, but we thought it would be nice to still have a male female duet there. So instead of Fistrata, we made it Eric. Right. So that you still had a female voice and a male voice and you still had that sort of sense of a harmony with a bit of an interval and two different timbres to it. So we did some clever things like that, but on the right track was tricky because you have to sort of find a key that's right for the leading player and then also a key that's right for Pippin. Um, Although in that case, it really is mostly the leading player up top and then it's mostly Pippin at the end. So I think we moved the key for her and found a way in the dance break to modulate back to the original. Oh, really? Yeah. So that he could sing in the original Pippin. I mean, there was a lot of that. Also like the opening is all the leading player for the first verse, but then the second verse goes into these breakout solos Right. That we're all kind of arranged around the key of a male leading player. So I think we took we took it up for the leading player spot, and then we f- we modulated right when Fastrada came in. So there was a Stop lot of it. there was a lot of stuff like that that was like. Unfortunately, we had a long road to Broadway, so we had time to really iron that out. Sure. 
Well, that's so interesting because now that you're like bringing all these things up, like obviously you've been on both sides where you've done a revival of songs that have already been like, you know, kind of solidified in a lot of ways. And then you've done new shows that are still like, you're trying to figure it out. Do you have like a preference or like, do you like, do you just enjoy like, I don't know, like, what do you kind of enjoy the most doing? I kind of enjoy all of it. It, it, I think I really love the creative process of putting a new thing together. Yeah. So in a way I would say the new shows, but then if it's the right show and Godspell and Pippin were both shows that were ripe, ripe for this. Uh um, It's, it's, it's thrilling to bring that same energy to a revival and say like, we're going to, cause both, in both cases, we almost treated it as though it was a new show. And in both cases, we were lucky because we had Steven Schwartz there to bounce ideas around. And, you know, I remember on in Godspell, uh, in the song Light of the World, wait, it's not lies, learn your lessons well. There was this uh-huh. section in the middle that was always a spoken kind of rap thing, like the lamp, lamp, lamp of the body, 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 is it? <laughs> Which was cool. But it was like interrupted the song in a weird way. And it always felt a little like beat poetry 70s. And we're like, we want to make this a little more current. And so the director said to Stephen, like, what if this could this be sung? And he actually wrote a new piece of music that is now in the show. Like, you know, because they license our revival version. And it's gorgeous. He wrote yes. this like a, basically like a bridge to learn your lessons well. And, and then Michael Holland did this absolutely glorious vocal arrangement on it and it became one of my favorite pieces of music in the show and i was like this only existed because of this revival and our director having an idea and steven getting inspired by it and him you know so it's thrilling when the two worlds meet it's funny i've also then done like i've done a bunch of shows at the muni in st louis where on the one hand it's frustrating because it's a it's it's a it's which if people don't know the muni it's this huge crazy summer stock theater in st louis it's 11,000 seats. I mean, it's yeah. awesome. So they do everything at a really big scale and they get incredible talent to work there. And it feels like you're doing a Broadway show in terms of the level of talent you're working with, but it's still one week stuck. You have 12 days to rehearse, seven days to perform, you go home. So <laughs> it's frustrating in those situations that it's like, oh, I want to get in and reimagine it. And it's like, you just don't have the time or the resources. Like you don't have an orchestrator. You don't have, a, you know, it's like, we can't really come up with all this new stuff. But in the same way, it's also sort of, so sometimes that's frustrating, but sometimes it's also, as I just like a variety. Like, it's nice to also do a kind of, I call it like an out of the box show. Yes. It's like, if it ain't broke, don't, you know, it's like, let you just want to coach the best performances you can. And right. it's kind of like, here are the charts. Here's the, here are the parts. Here are the songs. Here's how it's going. Let's learn them. Let's do it well. See you at opening, you know? Yeah, right. Like I see that schedule and it's like, how could we make this work? But you realize like, oh, you're not writing it. You're not yeah. coming up with what these routines are going to be. It's kind of, I mean, you and the director and the choreographer have to do a lot of work ahead of time to have a plan, right. but then it's kind of like one giant put in rehearsal for everyone. Right. It's yeah. like, it's like, just learn the steps. We know, you know, it's, you're, you're not like, what do we do with this dance break? And let's get in a room and workshop it for a week. It's like, here's the music. Here's wow. the choreography. Let's go. Yeah. So sometimes that's liberating. Uh-huh. Right. Because it's right. like, oh, it's so much less to worry about. But then sometimes it's also like, I'm not flexing as many creative muscles. So it's, I, I, I like doing a, I like doing a blend. Yeah, I think totally. bottom line, like, I've been lucky in my career that I've had, it's had a lot of variety, and I think that's what's helped me stay constantly excited about it. 
yeah you know, there's always i always love the adventure of this is this is different than the last show and thus you know it never feels like here we go again right oh my god so speaking of variety now you're yes. doing like tv like totally, <laughs> not yeah, e- which is not a whole Broadway. other world right so like okay for anybody who doesn't know uh charlie is now the music consultant on zoe's extraordinary playlist which last night just had an episode starring bernadette peter ever heard of her yeah i don't know um any i like was i that was another moment where i was like charlie play it cool play it cool because she's also an absolute hero of mine oh my god literally how can she not be that talk about like legend of the icon yeah yeah no yeah it's like incredible yeah it's like bernadette and then like everyone else (laughs) yeah no she's beyond amazing and also just the most normal down-to-earth cool person as almost all of the best stars, right you know it's like yeah totally but let's talk about zoe so you're a music yeah. consultant there so like first of all explain what a music consultant is also like what's the biggest difference of doing like a show on tv compared to like broadway completely in some ways it's so similar because at the end of the day you're telling stories through song right so in terms of what you hope the final product is and the way that it reaches an audience it is the same but how you get there is totally different right you know the frustrating thing is you lose that sense of that alchemy and that energy and the way that a performance bounces back and forth with an audience in real time but what you gain is the ability to completely microscopically manipulate every minutia and get it. You know, you can like, it's like making a recording. So you can go through and you can be like, I want this word from this take and that where you get like the best possible vocal take you could want. Cause it's almost always pre-recorded, which yeah. in my mind was always like, a, Oh, that's so annoying. And it's just cause everyone's so obsessed with it being perfect or whatever. And some of that is true, but I learned most of it is technical that just quite literally capturing live sound while you have 8,000 other elements is like, can be wildly unpredictable and it doesn't, it might not go well. And then you're like, well, now what? So we do some, some songs on the show have been sung live. No way. Usually it's like a, yeah, it's only, we did maybe like a handful this year. It was, they were also later in the season once we kind of had the COVID stuff a little more down because like singing, singing unmasked is also more dangerous. So you could only really do it if there weren't like a lot of other people around, you know, if you could still be far apart from the other actors. Even when we did a live vocal, we would always pre-record it first as well as a backup, which when I heard that, I was like, oh yeah, okay. Like if someone wakes up that day with no, with no voice, but it's not just that. It's also like you get in, you know, it's a multi, it's like a multi-million dollars it's this very expensive shoot and everyone's on the clock and you gotta right. get and as you know as much as it i always say like tv feels like you're just in a non an endless tech rehearsal yeah so it's always sort of that pacing you know what i mean uh-huh. but um so even though it feels like it's moving slowly it's still like every minute counts and you don't want to be the one that's bogging the process down mm. so it could be that you get in there planning to do it live and you discover like oh actually because of something with the camera angle we can't hide the boom mic so we have no way to mic it and then you'd have to go you know so it's like or there's we didn't realize that such and such is going to create noise and we can you know it it could be a thousand different technical things so you just always we i knew we never had that happen like the ones we wanted to do live we did live but you just always want to have a backup so it's not like well crap now we have to just shut down production on this song because we don't have a thing to play right wow so yeah and it's also i think like 
you know, you can get, you can fix a lot of stuff with audio and post. You can even like, if the lip sync isn't perfect, we can nudge a, a word to match the video, visual. You know, there's a lot of things you can do, but you got to get that visual right because it's your only chance to do it. So what that means is on set, the priority is always much more about the visual. Yeah. So the uh, the other reason it's easier to do it with a pre-record is you don't want a thing where it's like, you don't want to be in the position where the take that everyone loves is the one where someone dropped a thing in the corner and then you can't, or, or that they cracked on a note and then you can't use that audio. You know what I mean? Right. And especially for like a show like Zoe's, because it, it, from what it looks on TV, I, at least, I think it's all done in one take, right? The songs? Like, it's not like you chop it up. Most of them. It depends yeah. on it depends on the song, but most of them are. Okay. Oftentimes, you'll, like, cut to Zoe for a reaction, which gives you an opportunity to go back. But usually, the master, as they call it, like, is, like, is a, a oneer Is just, you know, one shot. And then you might yeah. pull away from it and go back. But it's that's... So then you'd have to do the whole thing over if someone messed up. 100%. That would, yeah, that's so... 100%. So it just takes a lot. The ones that we've done live are usually like a park and bark, for lack of a better way to put it. You okay. know? Yeah. Like we did... Um, uh, the episode where the songs got switched, if anyone saw it, was um, there's a thing where... Max oh. sings a song called Anyone. Yeah. Oh um, my God. Stop. That was in so In the bar. Good. And then Emily sings it at the end. Those were both live because we wanted it to really be. Stop and they both me. did a very beautiful emotional pre record that we were ready to use. And I think we sort of, both of them, we would sort of, we did a lip sync the first time or two because we knew they'd still be figuring out camera stuff and we probably wouldn't be using them. Uh-huh. But, and it wasn't that they couldn't do, like it sounded beautiful. We got a really emotional take from both of them in the booth they did a really emotional performance, but it's one thing to match your lips. It's another thing to have to match like, and that's the exact moment where the tear is going to fall and I'm going to crack on a note or whatever. So it's like, it was like, just try it live. And I mean, I think the results were incredible in both cases. Yeah. Oh my God. Skylar Aston is literally probably on my list of like people that I'd freak out if I like walked into a room with, he's so good. His voice is incredible. incredible. He's incredible. Oh my God. The whole cast. I really like, I mean, it's a dream. Alex Newell too. She's oh my god, they're amazing. <laughs> Alex's voice is like from the gods. I mean, it's yeah. insane. It's insane. Seriously. I was, and I was. It's another moment where, like, I was a fan of Alex's music before I got the job, and I was like, there will be a day where I come to the studio with my with my windows open, blaring one of his songs, and there yes. he is, just like, oh hey, that's me, because I like yeah. legit listen to his music because it's amazing so yeah it's um it's it's like the whole cast and i love how everyone is so game and everyone is so good but coming from a very wide background like everything from alex who's literally a recording artist to you know people like skylar and alice lee and michael thomas grant who are you know seasoned musical theater performers right to people like jane and mary who really have no singing background at all even though they both sing very well you know so it's it's wonder and then everything in between so it's like it's great i love the variety of that too because again it's like you don't get bored it's like everyone because i basically i mean music consultant is a pretty wide open nebulous term but basically what i'm doing on the show is it's almost like if it was a play, like what the music director would do. Like I'm working with, uh, without conducting the orchestra, obviously, because it's, you know, the tracks are all exist, but we have this brilliant music producer out of LA named uh, Harvey Mason Jr. Who he does the arrangements, he creates the tracks 
he puts together all of the group vocals or background vocals if there's anything like that on a song and uh he'll have his singers do a demo track but then we basically get the track as an instrumental and then the track with a demo i get that out to the actors and then i start working with the actors to sort of get them prepped on their performance of it both you know in terms of interpretation and in terms of vocal technique and, and all that kind of stuff sure. and again it varies widely from person to person you know what kind of help they, they're interested in and then because we record everything even if we're going to sing it live when we do those recording sessions we have a recording studio right on set which is amazing mm. so you don't have to like shuttle back because it's oh wow. you know the scheduling can be insane. And often it's like, great, they're turning the camera around. Can we get them up to the booth for 20 minutes? We're going to try and bang this out. I mean, it's all—it's always like so tight. So it's great that it's right yeah. on campus. Harvey, the music producer, will kind of FaceTime into those sessions. And then I'm there in person and we kind of tag team. Oh, wow. Getting the songs pre-recorded, And that's maybe my favorite part just because it's my chance to work with Harvey and he's awesome. Yeah. And I love being in the studio. I, I, I just, I'm even like prior to doing this show, like cast albums or other recordings and stuff that I worked on. So it's such fun. a great, it's so much fun. And then when we record, when we shoot the numbers, I'm on set to check the lip sync or if it's a live vocal to sort of be there to coach stuff and, you know, shape it and whatnot. So it's pretty exciting, but it's also like almost like several jobs at once. So it's like my uh -huh. days vary wildly. Because yeah. some days it's like we're shooting two numbers and I'm trying to sneak some other stuff in. And some days it's like, great, there's there's no numbers on set today, but I've got four pre-records or some, And then I'm, you know, rehearsing a few other things. And, you know, wow. and then I'm also kind of there for other things that come up musically. Like we've done a few things this season, um, like with Aiden, the next door neighbor and the rock band and yeah. David playing in that. So there you have to do it's like what's the lip sync version of playing instruments, you know? And so it was all people who really played, but you know, you have to make it so it really looks like you're playing that guitar part and that drum part. And, you know, so I was sort of helping with that. Um, it's like all, all different stuff. Wow. You know? That's insane. How does it yeah. work as far as like, you know, picking out the song? Like, do you, are you working with like a team uh, who, and like the writers and everything like that? I actually don't pick the songs. That all come, that all comes out of the writer's room. Okay. And then also in consultation with their music supervisor who does the rights clearances. Gotcha, Cause sometimes gotcha. they have a great idea for the song and she's like, you'll never get that song. Don't even dream. Like she's amazing. She's yeah. been doing this a long time and knows like, she knows like what artists like will and won't give you the rights to that stuff. So she'll, sure. or, or like, you know, she'd be like, that, that won't, that won't be a problem. You're never going to get this. Ah, let's try. Or this one's going to be hard. Write a letter, make it personal, do it. You know, it's like, yeah. so it's been really interesting. And I think lucky land casino asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky, lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wow. What a process. Oh, there's so many things. And there have been songs. Sometimes songs will change because they'll be like, no, never mind. We had a better idea. You know, like sometimes you'll see an outline come of an upcoming episode that'll have the list of songs. And I'll be like, oh, we're doing that one. And then five days later, you'll get like new yeah. outline. And I'm like, oh, no, that's a different <laughs> song. Okay. You know, right. but it, it is crazy because you're, 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 you kind of have to like be thinking down the line. So it's like, while we're, while we're just to make life easy, like we're shooting episode one. Uh-huh. At the same time, we're rehearsing and we're, we're prepping episode two. So we're while we're shooting episode one, I'm rehearsing people on their songs for episode two. I'm recording their songs for episode two. So a lot wow. of what I try and do is because you have to record them like a week before you shoot them. Uh-huh. Sometimes they're not totally in that mindset yet. So it's not just learning the song and singing it well. It's also like, let's really decode what this is about and right. what we're doing and hopefully they've been in a choreography rehearsal or two first so they know what the staging is and they really know what the the scene surrounding the song is so they know how to play it because the trap when you record it in advance is it's easy to just focus on sounding good yeah and you create the version that's like your radio ready pop single of the song and then you're... you get on set and you have to lip sync to it and you're like oh, i feel totally disconnected i want to play it differently now but right. then you're locked into that, that other thing so part of what I try and do is really get everyone in the mindset of like, forget that you're in the studio, pretend that you're think about who else is on, on stage or on set with you right now. And, you know, what are the lines before and what are you going through and what, you know, so that you try and get the performance in the booth. That's going to match what they're going to ultimately want to do on set. That's what's like the nuance of it. That's that I'm trying to bring to it specifically. Wow. And, you know, there are times that it's hard because you're like, we're still waiting on those script pages. I think it's this, but I, you know, like it just depends on the luck of the draw of like when you need, there's so many moving parts that go into like when you can schedule it and all of that. Sure. Uh, So that's been, that's probably the trickiest part of the job is just, you know, navigating all that timing, but it's, it's also so, I love it. I, it's so inspiring. Yeah. um, And I love that you can like, you really have the chance to like get it right. Yes. Although the flip side of that too is you got to feel like you got to, you got to own whatever you did. You know, it's like yeah. theater can be like, well, that was that crazy night, whatever. It's like, it's all the moment of how people experience it. It doesn't exist once it's done Yeah. versus, you know, still I'll go back and watch episodes and be like, Oh, I wish we had gotten that differently. You know what I mean? It's really, like, wow. Always just with stupid stuff, like a, a thing where I'm like, I wish that lip sync looked a little better. I would, you know, it's always oh, something yeah. like that. It's, you know what I mean? It's rarely yeah, the sure. fundamentals. I feel good about fundamentally how all the songs came out, but it's like, and stuff that no one else would ever see. You exactly. Know? It's like, I have a friend who's a potter and we, and is a fan of the show. And we talked about this and she's like, that must be so weird. But at the same time, she's like, I guess it's the same as like, for me, like once I put it in the kiln, it's like, well, I can't change it now. She's like, there's a little malleability before you put it in the kiln right? and you can still fuss over la- every last little detail. But once it comes out, it's like, well, that's what it is. So I have to just release it because I can't change it now. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's and the case with any recorded medium. Like I, 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 any interview I've seen with, you know, like a 
recording artists that I idolize, they all talk about like, it's hard for me to listen to my music because all I hear is the little things that I wish I could go back and do differently. Absolutely. You know? Totally. Yeah. It's well, so tricky, but... it, that's the, that's what I love about live theater though, too. Like, sure, you get that one time, like one night, but you also know like you're going to be able to do it the next night, you know, and, and like exactly. and do it a different way and continue to explore. Yeah. But I, I couldn't imagine just like doing it on TV or, or being even a, a recording artist. Like you just got like yeah. one day to do it and that's the day it's got to happen. Like that's crazy. Well, and there's pros and cons, right? Like, and I see both sides of it. So, which is yeah. also why I kind of like working in both mediums because you get to it, it makes you appreciate absolutely the pros and ignore the cons, right? Right. But like in a th- in a theater piece, you have that chance to, you know, two hundred performances in, find new things and deepen and stuff you yes. might not have thought of for earlier on. And in a way, that's really exciting. But also on the flip side there is that old thing where like your first instinct was probably the, the best one. I, the, uh, Nicky Martin, who is one of my favorite directors I've worked with. He said like, basically at the end of the day, you're all just trying to re- every minute of every second that you're on every second of every minute, you know what I'm saying? Every second yeah. that you're on stage <laughs> in a play, you're trying to recapture the magic of the first read through. Yes. Cause that first read through when it's just first instinct, here we go is always magical. And then uh-huh. you tear it apart and you overanalyze and you think about 8,000 things and you try it 30 different ways and you come back with what you think is good. Absolutely. And it's like, well, it was magic in the read through. So in a way that's also what's great about film and TV is you don't have time to overanalyze and obsess and think it's just like, here's my first instinct. Great. We got it on film, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. I've never thought of it that way. There is that too, you know, like you might Uh for every minute that you're bummed that you thought of something after the fact that you can't go back and do, there's also that, like, we actually got the lightning in the bottle of like your first read and your first instinct on this, the way to play this material, you know? Yeah. Before you, before you made it about 800 other things, you know? Totally. Totally. Well, Charlie, I have to say this has been a blast, but oh, we I'm taking up too much of your time. Um, no, this no. was incredible. All of this is just um, fascinating to me. I mean, I'm someone who's like, you know, trying to learn instruments now. I know a little bit of ukulele. I know a little bit of guitar. Ooh. Well, I definitely know ukulele because of Finding Neverland. But like the guitar, yeah. I'm slowly starting getting into everything like that. I want to do piano. Oh, yeah. Guitar is awesome. Yeah. All of that stuff. But I love like music. Mm-hmm. And I feel like just instruments is like just an outlet so for people that love it, like music in general. So all of this stuff has been incredible for me and for everybody who's listening and and i can't thank you enough for just sharing your story of course i would say i mean my one little thing i would say about learning instruments is like yeah it's never too late to start but it will always be easier the younger you are when you and it's not about your brain losing a capacity here's my theory about it this is not scientific but Uh it's not that your brain loses the capacity to try to learn new things i think you're just as capable of learning something at age 30 as you are at age three sure but you lose patience yeah when you're 30 you're so good at so many things that the thought of taking the time to be bad at an instrument while you're learning how to be good at it is like oh i'm so bored of not being good or this is taking too long i'm impatient now whereas like you know i started instruments when i was so young it's like I mean, I was four when I started taking piano lessons. I wasn't good at anything when I was four. You know what I mean? So it's like, of course, I'm fine being not great at piano. I'm learning Uh how to talk. I'm learning how to read. I'm learning how to, you know, deal, relate to other people, like all of these things. So it's like, 
you know, because it took probably, you know, I mean, I could play songs, but like I could play like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like before, it it was probably I was probably putting yourself ten before I was able to like play a song that was like gratifying in a like ooh this song that I yeah. love that I know I'm gonna sit down and play and get, you know so it's like. That was like six years of playing piano. So it's like it, the thought of as an adult taking six years to get to a point where you get the payback for it. You're like, this is too much of a time investment. Sure. So that's all. But, you know, but you're still, you know, you could still you could still learn it all. And, and in some ways you learn it quickly because you have other stuff in your life that to, to draw from. Right. Anyways, but now I'm rambling. No, it's all good. I love it. I love hearing all of these Perfect. stories and hearing your experience because like you listen, you you're like one of the top musical directors in the industry. Oh, you're doing you. it all. You're always working, going from show to show. I love it. I love watching it. I mean, we didn't even get to talk about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory when you're on tour oh, teaching I everybody. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can't imagine being a musical director on tour. You have to teach everyone in a new city in the orchestra all it's of the songs pretty crazy. every yeah. week. I can't every imagine. city every Tuesday is like, what's gonna happen? And you you literally meet them at ten in the morning and. At eight o'clock at night, you're doing the show for critics. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I, okay. I literally I can't, Here we go. I, I can't even imagine. But what you do is just so impressive, so amazing. I love everybody. I really got into like musical directors when I met Mary Mitchell Campbell. Uh, she was in Finding Neverland. She was I mean, our musical she's director. Unbelievable. I mean, like that was she's like, like one of my all time. She's idols. just to yeah, see how your guys' brains just work and just to see like how you guys just go about and do everything. Like you guys are the true like unsung heroes of musical theater. And like, Thank it's you. just, it's, Thank it's amazing you. what you guys do. Yeah. I, I seriously, I'm fascinated by Thanks all of it, but yeah, I appreciate you coming on. So thank you. Of course. Thanks for having me. Hey, take a bow, Charlie Alterman. Oh my God. Okay. I'm literally like blown away still. Like the fact that like, first of all, I didn't know that like conductors had auditions and like just the way that like his audition went, especially that first audition with Mark Shaman, the way that, he, you know, he didn't even know that it was really his audition when he was going to his apartment, but like they gave it to him on the spot and everything like that. It's just so, so cool. I loved all of these stories and I love the story of just like, you know, he was originally hired to do one thing and then had to like completely just reevaluate and adjust his contract and everything like that. It was just I was like wow your career is something else and uh it's been really cool just to see how you know he's worked with Steven Schwartz for all of these years and have learned under him and uh all of these incredible uh composers and uh lyricists in Tom Kitt, Steven Schwartz, Mark Shaman of course yeah just it, it's incredible and just the people that he's been able to work with on the way um we didn't get to talk about half of the things that I wanted to I wanted to you know explain the whole conductor versus music director during it but I knew it was going to be a long episode and a long interview so I didn't want to take up too much of your time and I was like oh I could do it in the drama dictionary so I hope it worked out well and I hope that it was beneficial to have that information before for uh, hearing the episode. Um, and what he's been doing with Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, I could have talked to him about it all day long because I'm just so, so intrigued about how shows like that work. Um, ever since really Glee, since I've like watched, like because of Matthew really, 
I've always wondered how shows like that work and just the way he was able to say like, oh, you know, some are live, some are recorded. Uh, we plan on doing them live, but we always have a backup and everything like that. Like you never think of, oh, I have to help this one lip sync. You know, like I, you never think that like they're going to have rehearsals or anything like that. Um, it's kind of just like, oh, wow, they're going to sing in this show now. Like, this is great. And we kind of figure that it's not live and anything like that. But um, and that was a neat, the another interesting thing of like why you don't like sing live during a like during filming, um, because I always thought it was so that like because in films, you know, you do so many takes every day of the same scene that like your voice may get tired or something like that. But to hear that it was just about the technology and the sound of everything and how, you know, it could really be affected. I thought all of that was extremely, extremely interesting. Um, and I loved the insight that he was able to give us. So thank you, Charlie, for coming on this episode of Take a Bow, which is extra special and just bringing us a new side of the industry that never really, you know, given the proper attention and the proper love that we all should because they're the true heartbeats of any musical and any musical show as well like even if it is filmed on tv or movies or anything like that they are the ones that are the heartbeat of that because without the songs there would be no musical or tv show or anything like that so thank you charlie i'm so happy that you were able to come on this episode and let's talk about some exciting things we have going on so as i mentioned this week you can watch jeremy jordan 54 below concert today starting today uh, for $35, and you could do a $50 VIP ticket with a Q&A with him. It's going to be live, so it's going to be like after the the, the premiere stream of uh, his concert. So it's probably going to be around 8.30, just so that you all are aware. I think it's going to be a great opportunity to meet Jeremy Jordan, to learn more about Jeremy Jordan. I want to have him on the podcast so bad. So I'm going to try to make it, um, and maybe I'll see you all there. So I want to also just talk to you for a second. Okay, this isn't even like an ad or anything because I'm not getting paid for this. But I just want to say that I have been obsessed with these Awala bottles they're called so they're like water bottles but the brand is called Awala and um I've had them for like like since the beginning of this year and I've like been obsessed with them and I've been like messaging them all the time and everything like that so finally they were able to be so generous and give me a promo code to give you all because finding a water bottle as like a performer or like just in general, like even as an athlete or a, uh, or someone who like works out or anything like that and does physical activity, it gets really difficult to find water bottles, you know, and like good water bottles that you like want. Because I don't know, I I often like my water bottle sometimes like doesn't taste good. It's not like dishwasher safe. It's like all of these things like go into it. And like, I like my water bottles with straws. I don't know about you all, but that's kind of, that's kind of more who I am. But yeah, so anyways, I found these Awala bottles because they were doing a lot for healthcare workers. And I wanted to support their business. And at the time, they were pretty small. And they've grown a lot over the past couple months. So they have a really, really, really cool designs for water bottles they have four different kinds and they have a bunch of different colors they have like a twist off kind where you can do it as a regular water bottle 
and you could there's a straw kind and then there's a combination of the two where it's called like free sip where it's a straw but then you also have the option of drinking it like a regular water bottle and everything like that um so this water bottle is literally life-changing and so this week this week only this week only yes you heard that right this week only from may 6th today to may 13th you can get a 20 percent off discount using the code eli20 um and once again this is not an ad i'm not getting paid for this but i'm all i'm just trying to help you guys find a water bottle that you all like because i know summer's around the corner i I will like kind of promote my store then go to take a bow website and buy some stickers to put on the water bottle uh just an idea you don't have to do it but it's encouraged so yeah the website is awalalife.com use the code eli20 to get 20 percent off um and i promise you you won't regret it it's free shipping it will come within like three to five business days um it's great stuff it's great quality it's dishwasher safe it's all the things that you want in a water bottle go check it out so before we turn it over to eli's entertainment experience i just want to say thank you to all the moms out there in the world but especially those who are supporting their kids in a career in the arts um, because I know a career in the arts is not what you dream of your child to do growing up but it's something that allows your child to express themselves and express who they are it, the hours put into it are uncountable <laughs> um, it, it's just there's a lot of sacrifices and there's a lot of dedication to pursue a career in the arts so For all the moms supporting their kids and doing that, I especially thank you guys. And I'm sure you guys are also the only moms listening to this podcast right now. Um, So that is also why you get a special shout out. And I, yeah, I mean, literally without my mom, I would not be where I am today. I would probably not even be in New York. I would not be talking with you all through this podcast and everything like that. But seriously, Mom, I love you. I love all the moms out there who are supporting their kids and doing whatever they may uh, want to do as for fun or as a career. Um, so thank you all. You guys are the true rocks and heartbeats of families in general. Um, and I, I and I couldn't be more thankful for all of you. And I hope you all have a wonderful Mother's Day weekend. So now it's time for the Triple E segment. Oh my gosh, it's the Triple E segment. And this week's Triple E, E segment in honor of the one year anniversary of this podcast. I'm going to give you guys some inside scoop of the podcast that was never before talked about. Um, so let's talk about podcasting, right? So podcasting is something that I never thought I would ever do when I first said that I wanted to be a performer, even though I found out through the past year that doing a podcast is doing a performance. And It's doing a new performance every night and it's doing a brand new script and a brand new agenda and topics. And it's just a brand new world. Every time you do it, every time, every week when, uh, when I come here, it's, I don't even know what I'm going to say. And, uh, and I love it. And it's, it keeps me on my toes. It keeps me excited. It keeps me engaged. And, um, it's something fun that I never thought that I'd be able to do, and I can't believe that I've been doing it for a year now. Um, but let's talk about um, just starting out this podcast, right? So I 
originally had this idea, right, to do a podcast because I loved listening to podcasts. And I was like, oh, you know, like I'm bored at home. <laughs> if I knew what I'd be doing the next year, I would maybe not have had this thought. <laughs> I was bored at home and I was like, I want to do this. I think I want to start a podcast. Little did I know that uh, hundreds of people would listen every week. So thank you all. I kind of just wanted an outlet to like talk and share my stories and experience. And that, that's also the reason that I love this segment. I had this idea and I kind of just like began to research and the research was helpful, but it was not what like I actually like needed to know. So I'm just going to let you all know if anyone's thinking about becoming a podcaster or anything like that, all you need really is a microphone and you need to, you need obviously have a computer and I recommend using a platform on your computer called Zencaster because it's a free platform where you can just record your podcasts and now I do it with like auditions and everything like that it's literally like changed my life also not an ad but seriously if you're ever thinking about doing a podcast do Zencaster and then of course you need there's it's very complicated in getting your podcast on Apple Podcasts Spotify etc unless you are on a network so I was like, you know what, I'm not going to go on a network and because I want it to be like open and I want it to be free and I don't want to have anything that I really need to talk about. But the thing was, is that like, it's really like key to have a network when you're starting a podcast because you would have to manually upload your podcast to Apple Podcasts, to Spotify, to Stitcher, to all these different platforms that I'm currently on, iHeartRadio, whatever you may be listening to this on. Um, and you know, you have to like do that each, each individually manually. And it's just, it, it gets difficult. And on top of everything that you have to do already, like, when do you have the time to do that? So what I would recommend is starting out on SoundCloud. And that's, I, for those of you who've never heard it before, SoundCloud is like a free platform where you can just stream your art, you can stream your music, you can stream your podcast, you can stream whatever. And then kind of just like having a couple episodes on there and seeing if, you know, promoting it, of course, um, saying only through SoundCloud and getting people to listen and seeing if anybody like actually ends up taking a liking to it. And if they do, then that's great. And you should continue to do it. But I recommend doing that as well so that you can have podcasts and episodes and art to then share when reaching out to networks because the biggest thing when Broadway Podcast Network when I had reached out to them I'd reached out to a bunch of networks before them and I was like oh like I would love to set up a meeting and something like that and they were like oh yeah great send us over some episodes and we'll get in touch with you and I was like oh well like I don't have any yet like it's just an idea and like I don't know what to do and I need guidance. And they were like, I like never received a response from most of them. And here we are today with the Broadway Podcast Network. I spoke to them. I came to them with my idea. I loved it. They loved it. I told them that I was trying to get uh, Sydney Lucas to co-host with me. They loved that idea too. Um, and uh, they didn't need to see anything from me because I didn't even know what it was called yet. I didn't know any of the equipment that I needed and anything like that. And they, they helped me with, with all of that. So thank you, Broadway podcast network for everything that you've done for me this past year. And for everyone who's like starting a podcast, you really have to, um, 
know what's ahead and know uh, w- the work that goes into it, especially in starting it, because you need a topic, you need to have a title, you need all of these things. And I'm so, so happy that every week I get a new, literally every week, I get a new message on my social media saying, you have encouraged me to start a new podcast. You have encouraged me to want to start a podcast. You have got me into podcasts and all of these amazing things. And I never thought that there would be another, a a higher compliment than, oh, I love seeing you on stage and you were amazing and you inspired me to want to act and everything like that. But this does just that as well. So I can't thank you all for listening, um, for being engaged for the past hour and a half um, and just giving me a place to speak for the past year and a half. And I want to say to everyone out there who's listening and wants to start a podcast or anything like that, you can always reach out to me and I promise I will do everything that I can to help um, as far as giving you the proper information, uh, as far as equipment and platforms and everything like that, um, ideas for names, ideas for topics and ideas for everything like that. I've been helping a few patrons uh, do the same and I, I, I would love just all of it. So so I know I've rambled, but um, I just wanted to really give an in-depth scoop of what happened and kind of where my mind was. If you notice, like if you go down to our first episode, we it was released at this like around this date last year, and we had no idea. And we were like, oh my God, we're not even ready to continue to release. Like so it's just so then we release like two or three weeks later so it's just there's a lot that goes into it that you don't even think about it's a great time and it's very time consuming but it's totally worth it uh especially when people are messaging you and telling you how much they like your podcast and how much uh you've inspired them throughout the podcast so thank you everyone who has listened and a special special thank you to the patrons who have allowed everybody else to listen to these podcasts for the past year uh, because without them they true I truly wouldn't have a podcast so if you're interested in becoming a patron check that out um, it would be an honor to welcome you to the take about team with that being said thank you to all the listeners thank you patrons thank you parents thank you moms in particular and um thank you everyone for the wonderful birthday wishes it's been an incredible week and i can't wait to see you all next week to continue having incredible weeks with these incredible guests coming out so thank you all for listening to 50 episodes of take about um it's been so much fun just being able to talk to every one of you uh these past this past year uh i wish sydney was here to uh to share this moment with me because it's an incredible feeling and And um, yeah, I I just, I, I look forward to doing this for another year. I'll see you next week. For this episode's Curtain Call, I would like to recognize a few people who also deserve to take a bow. This podcast would not be possible without the help from Dory Berenstein, Brittany Bigelow, Katie Rosen, Alan Seals, and the team at the Broadway Podcast Network. Next in line to take a bow is Kessie Tokash, who edits the audio and all the visuals for this podcast. A special thanks to patrons Brian Thompson, Pat McNamara, the listeners at PCC, as well as all of the other patrons for their continued support. If you're interested in becoming a patron, go to patreon.com tab. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, don't forget to subscribe on the platform that you're currently listening to this on. Also, feel free to give us a follow on Instagram at Podcast. 
Take a Bow's logo is designed by Giselle Bustos, and the music is by Nikki Torsha and Cormac Collinon. Bye, everyone. Hope to see you next week. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.